Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire your walk with God. For more information about our church and community, check out myc3church.ca. Thank you, worship team. Tonight we have a special service downtown at East Village. If any of you are available, you're welcome to come and join us. (laughs) That'll be great. Yeah, it really will be. Um, Pretty excited that, you know, the word goes out uh, Sunday mornings, but it also goes out online. We're on a few different mediums on Spotify and on iTunes and over 4,000 downloads taking place this year. So I love that the word can continue to be, uh, continue to move out. And so I'm really thankful for that. I told you last week about some of my friends, right? I had some friends that offered chiropractic help. Um, those, I contacted those friends this, the same week because I was dealing with a bad rash I'd got in Mexico, and I said, my wife won't let me use our hot tub. Could I use either of yours? And they both turned me down. But it's just about healed, and I'm feeling a lot better right now. Uh, I want to especially thank Karen and Joanne for looking after our finances this year. This is a tricky job, and, and they watch over that. I'm just really, really, really thankful for that, a little, a little extra work that takes place there. All right, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to review a little bit of last week's, and I'm going to ask the Lord once again to open our eyes. Did anybody have an opportunity for a fresh perspective this week? Well, you all had an opportunity. Did anybody take it? <laughs> That's the tricky thing. Uh, after Sundays, I pray that the Word keeps living in people's hearts. Like he, he would help us uh, to allow His revelation to live through us. And this, this word from Luke chapter 11, which was, uh, was very pr- profound to me, and I realized myself that I was blind to 100% of the things I can't see. And in the, in the light spectrum, if you were to say the light spectrum... Uh, would be somewhere like this, what we can see is about that much. But it doesn't mean that these other things are not real. It's simply that we can't see them. So we, we were reflecting a little bit, not very much, but a little bit on the Grinch. Um, it was the year I was born that that was published, by the way, which is anecdotal and not very helpful, um, 1957. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, he had a fresh way of looking at things, this Dr. Seuss. And um, at Christmas time, my question is, what do you see? What do you look at? Because we can see the lights, but we can miss the light of the world. We can hear the music, but miss the message. And we need to anchor in on the message. And this was uh, mind-blowing to me in Luke chapter 11, verse 33, where it says, no lights, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, it's put on a lampstand to give light to all who enter the room. Here's the, here's the great thing about that. Anybody who's looking for the light of the world is able to find it. He doesn't hide who he is. He didn't hide the baby. He revealed the baby. <laughs> this, is, this is a wonderful thing. God doesn't hide stuff from us, I don't believe. He, he gives us light to help us to see. And, and we're told in John chapter 3 is that certain types of people, they like the darkness, so they don't want to come to the light. <laughs> so this passage to me was really encouraging that, that, that Jesus is accessible to everybody. <laughs> and he says that I'm, the light didn't come to be hidden, the light came to be exposed. 
And then he says, your eye is a lamp for your body. In other words, how we look determines what happens within our body. That's a very, very big word. And then he says this, but an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. He uses the, eye, the word eyes as, as perspective. Is that, he says that, and, and then explains this, he says, be sure that the light that you think you have is not darkness. This is paradoxical to me, so how can light ever be darkness? And, and then he qualifies it with this, that if you are filled with light with no dark corners, that was the word we shared last week about no dark corners. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant. I love that. As though a floodlight is shining on you. I want that. Um, this to me, I, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful connection for you and I, especially this season. Light has come. Light extinguishes darkness. Darkness and light, they're no competition. It, it takes a little, little light to expel a lot of darkness. And, uh, and, and so, in asking the Lord about this, of course, we're reminded of Psalm 119, verse 130, where it says, the entrance of your word is what gives light. If, those of us who, and I think we live with this potential of, like the Pharisees, they thought they had light. But Jesus came to restore those were that were blind. The qualification of receiving sight was to confess that you're blind. <laughs> and and I, I quite am interested in how this works. It reminds me of when I clean the windows on my car or the truck. When they get dirty, the, the issue was what I, when I look through is that things look dirty because I have a lens that I'm looking through. And we all have lenses that we look through. Do we not? We do. You all see the world a certain way. And mostly you see it from your perspective. The invitation was to see it from another perspective. And so if I clean my windshield, I can see better. But the issue is not the source of light. The issue was my perspective, is how I was looking at it. And so I've even found that I can clean my windshield and the rest of the truck's still dirty. But I can see better. I can even clean my mirrors. And it looks like the world's a lot better. The invitation is that light has come. And, and I have found repentance is not merely a function. It needs to be a lifestyle for us. Because one of the things that will keep us spiritually blind is unconfessed sin in our life. Um, I want to look at the, the Christmas story and consider some of these different perspectives, if I could. I begin reading through the Bible again in a few weeks, and um, I look forward to that. But I always find it uh, quite striking in Genesis chapter 1, the, the connection between saying and seeing. Have you noticed that? And the Lord said, and then he saw. This is interesting to me. Which came first? We're told that things that are created were first seen, but they were invisible. And so we're to fix our eyes on things that we can't see. 
This is, this is remarkable to me. God said and God saw. Um, what we see when we look creates our actions that follow. Vision is so critical in life, and you need to look at 2019 not being a year of darkness. Even if 2018 was a little bit dark. But you need to have a vision, a brighter vision. You need to have light in your future. Uh, otherwise, we just revert back. And we need to keep looking forward. It's wonderful that he speaks and then he sees. And Habakkuk begins by saying, I'm going I'm to get up on a watchtower and I'm going to see what he says because God always speaks in visions. He, you'll be able to, when he speaks to you, you'll actually get an instant vision. Not just young men who see visions. And old men dream dreams. But, but we get a vision because he begins to say things and they're formed in our imagination, which is why we're to keep our imaginations pure. So that we can see uh, what he says. I, 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 the, the easiest place for me to, to see is when I close my eyes and worship. I don't know why that is, but that seems like there's a connection for me between worship and vision. Uh, maybe that's the case with you. The, the fellow last week that we looked at, he says, I went, I washed, and now I see. It's an amazing thing to regain your sight. And, um, and I think that we need to have fresh eyes this season. Jesus warned us about pulling out the tares with the wheat. He said, yeah, they're there, but just leave them alone. Because they mess with the other harvest as well. We, and we typically don't see that. I don't know if you're familiar with the... A, a tear is very similar to wheat. They look very much the same. The only difference is when, when they ripen, a tear doesn't, like wheat gets ripened, it bows, but uh, tears don't. They're easy to spot, apparently. But he says, don't pull them out. This is different because when I see something that's wrong, I want to pull it out right away. And, and, and I think that we leave the pulling out to the one whose field it is. <laughs> We're told about speck spotting, and the problem with speck spotting is we forget the thing that's in us, and we only, the reason we can see it in the other person is because we have it in us. That's why. That we have it in full form. We have the whole log, not just the speck. So he says, yeah, you might see the speck, but the invitation is that you deal with the plank first. Um, I want to look at Luke chapter 1, and uh, I couldn't decide which of these I was going to share about, so I'm not sure if they're on the overhead or not, which is another reason to bring your Bible is to church. It sort of is. <clears throat> Luke is an interesting guy. He's mentioned three times as a doctor. He wrote a sequel to the book of Luke, which is the book of Acts. And uh, he uses very interesting language. Um, <clears throat> he begins in chapter 1 by referring to being an eyewitness. That's an interesting word. He says, many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They use the source material and the reports circulating among us from earthly disciples and other eyewitnesses of what had taken place. The word eyewitnesses is the word autopsy. And it also can mean eye to eye. Uh, he's referring to people who had a, a certain perspective of what took place. I think that's interesting. And uh, so then it all begins first in verse uh, 5. And... And in the chapter one is two narratives. They're parallel narratives, but they're very similar. And they're both announcements that Gabriel visits the earth and makes an announcement. And uh, it's one is met with unbelief. The other is met with uh, an, an inability to understand. Mary simply didn't understand. She didn't have unbelief. Zechariah had unbelief. Uh, he had reasons for that, I suppose. 
He was older. When we get older, it's easier to be a bit cynical, I suppose. When my grandkids ask, what it, why, is, why is your hair silver? I say, I'm growing tinsel. Just leave me alone. <laughs> so he says it all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was the king of Judea. It all begins uh, right here. I actually don't think that when the authors were writing the New Testament, they knew they were writing Holy Scripture. I don't think they knew. But I love um, a little further on in 1 Corinthians where it says, don't, don't judge something before it's time. I think that's such a remarkable passage. Why? Because it's all part of a process that God's working out on the earth. One of my neighbors came down. We were planted willows once, a windrow of willows, and he came and he pulled them all out. He said, they're all dead. We said, no, no, they're completely alive. They just aren't growing yet. <laughs> they just look dead. Um, on the other hand, my tree is the opposite. It is dead, but doesn't know it yet. <clears throat> um, but, but there's a chain reaction taking place here, and Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth didn't know what was, what, that it was all unfolding, something magnificent. And a great one was going to be born to, to them, but they didn't know. They were, their hearts are actually probably disappointed. Uh, I'm most impressed with them that they ministered in a time without the presence or the glory of God. But they never gave up. You should read this narrative. It's remarkable. And they hung on. It doesn't even say that they lived with a promise. They lived with anticipation. And they lived believing. And you wonder if they had given up. Many texts refer to this passage as saying, even though they had prayed, they had quit praying. Um, this happens to m many of us. But he was, it says that he was a careful uh, priest, or sorry, a faithful priest, and he was careful to obey. I love looking at this life of obedience. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both very old. They kind of had two strikes against them. Mary, on the other hand, had another obstacle to birth, which was virginity. Both obstacles. But I just love to see, and it says, and they were both very old. Old is, is a relative term, we all know. It's all fun and games until metabolism slows down, Carla. Wasn't that right? <clears throat> but, but they were, so they had lived faithful all through their lives. But God was about to bring something to pass. And Zechariah actually couldn't see it. His heart had been disappointed for so long. And even when he had Gabriel himself show up, and he said, this is going to happen. And the one thing that Gabriel does with both narratives, as he, he says this, he says, and what I say is absolutely going to come to pass. I love that. Um, God's word is not without power. So six months later, he says, Mary went into, or sorry, Elizabeth goes into a seclusion in verse 25. I love this passage. It says, how kind the Lord is. Isn't that, that's just a beautiful, tender reflection. He has taken away any of my disgrace. And so six months later, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel again to Nazareth. They're both in obscure cities and unlikely for pregnancy. It's just beautiful how the Lord works in places like, you know, Pinocchio or... Like, just, if you're from Pinocchio, it's all good. But I'm just saying, it wasn't New York City, right? And it wasn't to highly influential people. He chose, he chooses a, an unlikely recipient, a teenager, Mary. <laughs> I would likely not have trusted her with my truck keys, but he's entrusting her to the birth of Messiah. And, and so it's just, a, it's just an interesting thing because I, I, I love, at the end of, 
Uh, it's in verse about 30, I think, uh, no, 36, where the angel says, and what's more? Don't you love that? And what's more, I'm going to confirm what I've said. It seems so unbelievable. And what's more, your cousin Elizabeth is with child. Here's what she does. She jumps. Well, she wouldn't have jumped on anything. She just took off. This was an 80-mile journey for her. She takes off to hang out with the one who's confirming the word in her life. Why? Mary had seen what the Lord had said and was wanting to be around someone who would agree with her. Have you ever found that a lie, actually when a lie enters your life, it's solo. It doesn't become a duet until you start agreeing with it. It's solo and powerless. It's gangly and malnourished. A little lie sneaks in, but the moment that you agree with it, it all of a sudden has some power. Here's, here's my conviction about this. What's more critical, what happens to us or how we interpret what happens to us? What if there's a fresh perspective? What if, and of course, could they ever have known what was about to unfold? Could they have ever seen in their wildest dreams what was going to take place? Not likely. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, my hero, uh, Joseph, and um, I've entitled this point, Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Uh, the, the, the greatest teachings in my life, the greatest learnings in my life, they began when I, in, in, in two sp specific times. One, when I became a husband, that, that was a learning curve. And the second was when I became a father. Joseph is both. And he's just about, he, he's in a, a very unique learning space. And he has a very, he's a good guy, devout guy, honest guy. He's a construction worker. You would have liked being around him. He, he had a tool belt, lunch kit. Good guy. Those guys with tool belts and lunch kits. And, um, but he had a certain perspective, and his perspective was very earthly. And the way, and actually he, and he used the scriptures to support his vision. And he had searched the scriptures, it says, he was a devout man, and, um, and he was, but he had a, a very earthly, he had a problem because he had an earthly perspective and not a heavenly perspective. God was doing something that hadn't happened before, but it was promised all through the Old Testament. So his perspective was a problem. And I think, so here he is. It says that he was engaged to be married. We have to understand that, that he did, and, and um, he was engaged to be married. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But she, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. And he considered this as he went, uh, as he went to sleep. Um, Joseph understood, here's what, he, here's what he was about to do. He was about, the idea of being chosen is a, a very romantic notion. But being chosen and being called, these three people we prayed for, they're living a life, a called life. When you live a called or a chosen life, which you're all called and you're all chosen, when you live that type of a life, you actually, uh, you give those around you the opportunity or the reason, a reason to misunderstand you because callings and chosenness is very personal. Joseph was left himself, and, and if you look at the world through, from his perspective, um, when, when you see the way he's seeing it, he actually was saying yes to a whole life of being misunderstood. Living in a small town, his, the construction workers are saying, hey, yo, yo, Joe, like, uh, Mary's putting on a bit of weight, eh? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it wasn't me. 
Like he, and, and she would have had to live with the same type of awkwardness. No wonder he took her with him to Bethlehem because Joseph was a good guy. And he said, I'm not going to leave her alone to be pestered by these people. I'm going to cover her. I'm going to be, be with her. I'm not going to leave her to be exposed. What a, what a choice the Lord made, cho- choosing a teenager. Most contractors, I'm told, they want to see the blueprints before they build. And if things aren't going according to the blueprint, there's a problem. Any contractors here? You know what I'm talking about. There's no one? Where's my son? He should be in church. Where is that guy? <laughs> he tells me when it's not on the blueprints, though, it's, all, it's extra, and it creates this, all this other... Right? So he's a contractor, and he's kind of got the blueprint. Here's, his life was already kind of... He, he, this is how it was going to go. And all of a sudden, something is completely changing for him. Everything is... is, is changing. He's a, as a carpenter, he, you know, measures twice, cuts once. He's a very calculated guy, but, the, but his world is about to change, change completely. Joseph understand, understands as a builder that he needs a blueprint, but he's not a builder. He's now the tool. It's going to be used by the Lord. He's chosen. Um, the angel came to him in a dream. He sa- she sang the song from Frozen, let it go, let it go. Try that when you're in a domestic Ah, just let it go, let it go. Uh, the issue was Joseph. It wasn't Mary. He had to see that the issue that was in him, I'm learning to be thankful for things that get stirred up in me because now I can see them for what they are and I've learned to name them. So what gets stirred up in me when I'm around people? What stirs up in me when I look at my Instagram feed? What, what stirs up in me? And then you name it because it's an opportunity for healing. When something happens in your relational world, and it will happen, you have to differentiate between the button and the pusher of the button. I told my wife once, I said, I'm just looking for the mute button. There's, a, there's, a, there's buttons in us. Y'all got buttons. Did you know that? And they get pushed when you're around people. And you have an opportunity at that point to find some healing. Joseph's buttons are pushed. Because he can't see what's going on, really, until the angel comes to him and he reminds him, hey, I'm doing something much bigger than just you. Perceived betrayal is reality to Joseph. It's very real. Uh, point number three, and I have one and a half more. I call this carnal cataracts. This week, my father-in-law had cataract surgeries. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody had a cataract? The issue, the issue with cataracts is they actually... They create problems with your ability to see stuff. I personally think that we all carry around carnal cataracts. <laughs> there, there are things that skew the way that we look at things based on our flesh. I don't think the devil is nearly as big an enemy as our flesh is, personally. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says it's, that sin darkens my understanding, and it hardens my heart, and it closes my mind. Can I just remind us that selfishness will blind you and it'll hinder your perspective. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? He said, I want to see. What do, you, what, what do you want? I want to see. I need spiritual perception, but I have to be willing to admit that I'm blind and I'm unable to see and put myself in, another situa- in another's boots and be able to see the world from a different perspective. That requires what the Bible calls repentance. It, 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 so, so this is a, a beautiful thing for us. Emotionally smart, smart people are able to see the impact that we have on others. Acknowledge that. 
and deal with that. I think that Adam must have been surprised when he sinned and didn't fall over. Has anybody else found that remarkable? I remember just thinking, like, when I came to Christ, that I have to keep everything just right. And when I did something wrong, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. I found I didn't right away. It was wonderful. I thought, wow, I can just, really, I can just say those words and not fall over dead and no problem. But here's what happens eventually is your heart begins to harden. Sin's deceptive that way. It'll actually skew your perspective. Adam began to look at himself differently, instantly covered himself. He began to look at his world differently, and he began to look at God differently. Why do we need our sight restored? So we can see God accurately, we can see others with compassion, and we can see ourselves with courage. Uh, Adam must have been surprised. One of the most powerful visions that you can ever have is how you're able to see yourself, because your self-image is the thing that causes you to see the world a specific way. Isaiah, Isaiah 47 says that the Messiah would open prisons of those who sat in darkness. But w- would we be willing to admit that there's levels of darkness that we sit in that cause us to not see the world or God or others the way that they really are? Idolatry in the New Testament is not a carved image. It's what we create when we create a false image of God in our heart or our mind. When we see God different than Jesus Christ presented him to be, we are idolaters. In doing so, we reject the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who revealed himself in Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 15 says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. One of my favorite Christmas carols is Mary, did you know? When you, so when you kissed your little boy, you were kissing the face of God. I love that. We become chronic fixers, I think. I, f- I find it rare to be around someone who accepts me just the way I am. That's a remarkable thing. That's a rare, and, and that's a great gift if you have friends like that or spouses like that who can accept you just the way you are. I, I, I have found that as I've been married, and now this year will be th- uh, 36 years, uh, that um, K- Kelly married a, you know, a 20 some-year-old farmer. I married a teenager, and um, it's different than having married a pastor. So I changed. So she has to accept some of those changes. It impacts her world. Um, The the, the Lauren that's 60 is not the same Lauren that was 26. Learning to accept one another and being able to to bring out the best. I I married a teenager, not a grandma, but it's fine. She's hot. She's beautiful. No, but I'm saying that in the kindest... You know, we're all, I'm, a, I'm a grandpa. It takes a little bit to wake them up, but they come around. It's, but I'm just saying that we, but it's useless trying to fix someone when you're only authorized to fix yourself. <laughs> we're to love one another. We only owe, we have one debt, the debt of love, to accept and to love others. And I'm just so thankful that love covers. That's what it does. I'm thankful, and it's also patient. I might reveal to Kelly that hidden Instagram account I have simply about her, about me. Here's, here's my attempt to be patient and kind throughout the whole year. Thought I'd be able to post on that every <laughs> week. Those of you who followed that. I'm not as patient as kind as I thought. Sorry. Um, but I think it's important. Let me just say, as our sight's being restored and we see God, the pure at heart, see God. When we see God in another person, I think we should say it. If you see it and it's good, say it. 
If you're a person that doesn't talk too much, this is going to be a stretch for you. But people that are around you, they need your words of encouragement. Because we often can't see God in us, where we can't see him around us, and we need others' eyes to help us. Can I just encourage you this season, if you see God at work in another person's life, say it. If you talk too much, this, you, you, know, you probably can dial it down a bit, but if you don't talk very much, you're right where there's lots of words, there's no shortage of sin, you know that verse? I'm reminded of that, I'm haunted with that. But if you see something, just listen to me, this is really important. When God restores your sight, and it may not be, you may not see the full picture, but this is a magnificent thing about God. He sees us outside of our current state and in our finished state completely in Christ. He sees us that way. When we get our sight restored, we're able to see Christ at work in other people's lives. And if you see it, don't think to yourself, oh, how nice is that? That's not good enough. Say it. <laughs> Jesus, he spoke and then he saw. He, he, let, what if we did that? What if we began to speak the things that we want to see in another's life? I said when, my, when my, the son there was not that courageous, I told him how courageous he was. It felt like a lie. It, it wasn't really, but look at him now. He's courageous. He was a bit spindly then, but you're prophesying. You're seeing God at work in another's life because they've got every other voice that's telling them they're not. If you see, you've got to look for beauty and then speak it. I've got to be careful because... You know, you can't just tell everybody how awesome they are all the time, but, 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 just, but, but, but I'm just saying there's lots of other words that's pulling people down. I, I, I can't wait to get off the platform and tell these young girls how great they were. That was a lot of work. I mean, I, I, you know, at that age for me, I would have, like, wet my pants and standing up in front of everybody. It was like, I'm okay now, but... No, but you got to tell people when you see it. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is just, love is useless if it's not expressed. Well, it's the same with gratitude. If you're thankful for something, say it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you your voice. Speak it. Your words have power. And you don't think that they're useful because the enemy has told you your words are just words. They're not. They're creative forces that go to work in a people's life. And once you speak something, you'll begin to see it in them. I tell my wife, how much fun do we have being married? She can't answer it because she's, you know, but eventually she will because I'm speaking it. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Is something showing? What was so funny about that? That was... No, but, but you, you hear what I'm saying, right? Like, tell people what you want from them. I mean, say it, speak it over them. I tell preachers before they get up, except Pastor Fanny already knows, but I just say, you're, you're going you're gonna to do an awesome job this morning because we've got all these voices saying, I'm a mess. If you see it, say it. Can you repeat that with me? If I see it, I will say it. There, you're on the hook now. Love covers. Um, <clears throat> if you see it, say it. Um, um, so I'm going to just wrap up here. The, the, the key to having more revelation in your life is admitting that you can't currently see. I found these last few weeks to be so confusing for me to pray. Um, some of you would have seen from the letter that our church, you know, we need, we need the financial miracle. And 
And I realized that I've never asked the Lord for money. And I had no language to ask for money. I had language to thank him for his faithfulness. I had language to ask him about, is there something that we need to do differently? But I did not doubt, and nor do I doubt his faithfulness to provide, because that's who he is. I know that. I don't need to ask him. I need to say, is there something I'm not seeing that I need to be doing? The key to more revelation is, first of all, walking in the light that you have, walking that out. And the second thing is admitting that you need more light to see in a situation. That's letting go of some things so you can get a hold of some things. It's important. We can't, because selfishness is blinding. Do you know what narcissist backwards, spelled backwards is? No, neither do I. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, 90% of how we see ourselves can be traced back to just a few moments. Maybe 92%. I, don't, I just made that up. But 76% of all statistics are made up on the spot. You knew that. Um, no, no, the, the, the point is this. I, I, we have to get past ourselves this season. We, we have to get into other people's, from their, seeing the world from others' perspectives. And the highest vantage point you'll ever have is being in Christ. That's the highest vantage point, to be able to see with his eyes. We have a different view of what took place here for Joseph because we have a different view of marriage than they did then. The attack against marriage in our culture is a very specific attack against the kingdom of God. And here's why. It's because all through Scripture, the idea and the theme and the motif of marriage is all through Scripture. It's about covenant. And, and, and what he, when he says he was engaged, which that meant was he hadn't, he hadn't consummated the marriage yet. But if he wanted to let her go, if they're just engaged, why couldn't he just like, just give me the ring back? Because it was the same as being married if you were engaged. It was the same thing. Kedushin was the Jewish term for that phase. And it lasted for about a year. And the purpose for it was to prove faithfulness. That's what, that was the purpose of it. And so he found in that period of time that it looked like Mary had been unfaithful. What's he going to do? But he's living out a great kingdom motif. That's what's taking place. Um, there was a one-year waiting period. It's a, and I, I still believe in arranged marriages. I think they're great. But there was usually an exchange of money, probably some goats. Once that was done, it was settled. And then what the husband would do then, he would go and prepare a place for them. And she didn't know when he was going to come. And he would come, he could come just like a thief in the night. But in that period of time, see, this is the, this is, this is the story of our life. Is that you and I have been betrothed. We are the bride. And in the period before the consummation, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb, in that period of time, there's one thing that we need to do. We need to prove ourselves faithful. We need to fall more and more in love with the groom. It's all about the groom. Yeah, yeah, you're the bride. But she was, in this period of time, she was to prepare herself and make sure that she was without spot and without wrinkle, keeping herself pure and looking for her, for her groom to come. This is the period that we're living in right now. And we're waiting. 
And in this period of time, we're falling more and more and more in love with our groom because someday he's going to come and we don't know when and we need to be ready and our hearts need to be warmed and we need to remain faithful and we need to remain pure and we need to be more and more cleansing and washing ourselves with the water of the word and keeping us pure. And so today, as we go into our season, very easy to keep the world revolving around us. My encouragement is that God would continue to restore our sight, that we could see things with fresh eyes this season. Let's all just stand together. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.